Welcome to Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We are so glad you decided to join us today. We know you're going to be encouraged, inspired, and challenged by this powerful sermon. Today we're going to be in the book of Romans. I'm doing my studies in the morning in the book of Romans. Um, We're going to be looking at chapter 1. Our main verses are going to be verses 18 through 21. But we are going to read all the way down through 32. We're going to title this, Holding Down the Truth. Holding Down the Truth. This is deep, man. This is serious stuff right here. So I'm going to start in verse 16. So just let your eyes rest on that. And we'll just actually we'll start there. But so this is the great verse that the Apostle Paul wrote via the Holy Spirit that we all love to quote. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God, for within the gospel, for within it the righteousness of God is revealed, think, remember that word as we go through these other uh, verses, for, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Then he says, for, or because, we'll start in our main verses, for the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Everybody say because. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been, somebody say clearly seen, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Let me read it again. Being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Verse 24, because of all that, therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also men abandon the natural functions of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, 
men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, to those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Pretty serious, right? Pretty serious stuff. So verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Paul's going to link, he he launches into this lengthy um, exposure of the sinfulness of man. Before he goes into the exposition of the gospel, which he's going to talk about in the following chapters. And because men need to learn of their lost condition before they can see themselves in need of deliverance. So that's the way the gospel message is. We first deliver the bad news. The gospel not is Jesus loves you, you pray this prayer, you're now saved. The gospel is you're a depraved sinner when you were born, separated from God by your sin. God's wrath is against you, da-da-da-da. And so now Jesus came, that's the good news. So understanding sin, then, is the foundation that upholds the gospel, the preciousness of the gospel. It says, for the wrath of God, looking at the word wrath, it's the Greek word orge. And wrath, when we think about wrath, remember, we think of things from, human, from our human mind. So when we think of wrath, we think of this uncontrollable anger. Um, but the Greek word is used specifically for this reason. It does not refer to uncontrollable anger to which we are prone it refers to God's settled indignation and controlled, passionate, controlled, passionate, hostile feeling towards sin in, in, in all its various manifestations. And that phrase, settled indignation, means that God's holiness cannot and will not coexist with sin in any form whatsoever. How many of y'all think God hates sin? So God's wrath is his holy hatred of all that is unholy, but it's not uncontrollable. It's controlled, passionate, hostile feeling towards sin. It's not an uncontrollable rage. He's not in vindictive bitterness. He's not losing his temper, but the wrath of righteous reason and holy law. Spurgeon said the wrath of God does not end with death. This is a truth with the, which the preacher cannot mention without trembling, nor without wondering that he does not tremble more. The Lord God is slow to anger, but when he is once aroused to it, as he will be against those who finally reject his son, he will put forth all his omnipotence to crush his enemies. God is a loving God, but God is a just God, and there will be no one that goes to hell unjustly. And we're going to see this today. Because God makes himself known to everybody. Everybody on this planet, this is telling us, and this is God's word, knows that there is God. 
He's built that into us. So nobody has, I'm getting ahead of myself, nobody has an excuse. So the wrath of God, this is a truly forgotten doctrine. Even in the evangelical church, how many of you guys have ever heard a sermon from anybody preaching on television about the wrath of God? Um, you don't hear it very often. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's taboo. It, not only in modern society, but it's taboo in the evangel. It's, it's taboo in the church. The church is bought into this. Um, conditioned itself to never talk about it or never raise the matter. So, makes us sound judgmental. Makes us sound mean. But it's the word of God. But you've got to understand who God is and who we are. And God's give, going to give everybody, everybody has a chance. But people will reject it. People will suppress it. People will hold it down. Most people would rather hear about love and grace. I'm sure if you came here today, you'd be much more enjoying a message on grace and how grace is, and God loves you. Well, there's a, here's a really good sermon on God's love. God loves you. Amen. And he showed that by sending his only son to come and die for you. So there's a lack of appreciation for this doctrine, and it's one of the reasons, because of it, that's why we trivialize sin so much. So we don't look at the holiness of God or, or the wrath of God against sin, so sin's trivialized. Trivialized, and we, we fail to reverence the holiness of God. So it says, for the wrath of God is revealed. The word revealed is the Greek word apocalypto. It means to literally uncover and then to, and then to cause something previously secret or unknown to become fully known or disclosed. So there's a present tense of this verb. You all, we talk about that a lot, right? So in this Greek verb, apocalypto, it has a present tense, which means the verb indicates that God's wrath is continually being revealed. His wrath is therefore always being revealed from heaven against those who mock his name and those who reject his truth. Serious, right? We shouldn't go into this with a, you know, the kind of heart that, yeah, get them. You know, we should have a heart of compassion for those who are holding down the truth because the wrath of God is coming for them until they know Christ. And it was coming for all of us. So we approach this with, oh my goodness, I need to do what I can do to get the gospel out there to people. Um, the wrath of God, how, how have we ever seen it? Well, we saw it in the flood. Drowned all mankind except for eight people. We saw it in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the drowning of Pharaoh's army. But ultimately, the greatest revelation of God's wrath was on Jesus on the cross. And people say that he died and it wasn't completed. It was completed. That's why he said it is finished. God's wrath fully poured out on him in our place. So let me say amen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So that word against means literally upon. So it gives a picture of God's fury coming down upon the heads of the ungodly. So his wrath is revealed and from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. John MacArthur said that all indicates that God's wrath is universal, being discharged against all who deserve it, no amount of goodwill, giving to the poor, helpfulness to others, or even service to God can exclude a, exclude a person from the all that Paul mentions here. 
Obviously, some people are morally better than others, but even the most moral and upright person falls short of God's standard of perfect righteousness. No one escapes. Everybody, everybody is aware that there is God. But there's this holding down, suppressing of the truth. So against all ungodliness. Godliness is from the Greek word that means a lack of reverence towards God. That speaks of a heart attitude. Um, So the Greek word suggests this disregard of the existence of God, although you know there, you're in you, built into you, and what you see, you know that there is God. There's a creator. So there's this disregard of the existence of God. They refuse to retain him in their knowledge. There's this habit of mind that leads to open rebellion. So they deny his existence as supreme ruler and authority. Remember, people don't like to hear God's sovereign. God's supreme ruler and has all authority. In one commentator, as Paul will expound in the verses that follow, once a man or woman purposes to turn their back on God's truth as clearly revealed in creation, the natural result is a river of wickedness flowing out of a life devoid of any interest in God or the things of God. And the only thing damning that river is the constraint of one's own conscience or the constraint of circumstances. Left to himself, man always turns to wickedness. So for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness unavoidably is going to lead to unrighteousness. The word unrighteousness means ascribe that which is unjust, wicked, or treacherous. So the wrath of God is revealed against their ungodliness, against men's unrighteousness. It's loving sin more than God. It's an issue of the heart. Against all godliness, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This word suppress. It's a Greek word, kateko. It literally means to hold down. So the Everyone has a knowledge. They choose to. I'm not going to admit it. I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to say that it's even there, even with all the things I see in nature. It's an effort to restrict the free movement of truth, which sets men free. Kateko is in the present tense, which indicates that ungodly men and women are continually, actively, willfully, deliberately restraining, hindering, and withholding the truth about God. Always doing it. Continually, actively, willfully, deliberately restraining, hindering, and withholding the truth about God. They are holding down the truth. And the Greek verb has a tense that shows that it's a volitional choice. It's a choice of their will. They choose. They know God exists, but they're not going to believe it, and they're not going to acknowledge it. Have you ever wondered how can people get, how can people do those things? There's no recognition of God. They have suppressed the truth that there is a magnificent, sovereign, all-authority God who's creator of all things. So they, you may hear to them refer to him as some kind of invisible force. Have you ever heard people talk about there's a force out there? Or, but deep inside, they know there's a creator of everything. This is what the Word of God is telling you. It's been revealed to them. It's been made known to them. It's, made, it's been made evident to them, yet they hold down that truth in their mind. Why? Maybe because if there is a God and he's righteous and he's a judge, 
then I can't behave any way I want to. So I can get into complete debauchery and not think one thing about it if I suppress the truth about God, a righteous and holy God. Christians don't want to hear about it. Preachers don't want to preach it in church. So that's why you see this church in many places in the state that it is. There's a suppressing of the holiness of God. One commentator said, most people want nothing to do with God. Most people who want nothing to do with God will generally admit that he exists, but he exists as some sort of unformed benevolence, a higher power that is floating around someplace and perhaps can be summoned like a spiritual butler to bring you things when you need them. They can admit that God exists, but they will not pay attention to him. We need to pay attention, even us as believers. Pay attention. There is a holy God. Amen. Which should change and speak to the way we live. So suppress or hold down. What do they hold down? They hold down the truth. Truth refers to the knowledge of God. It's communicated to the human conscience. So verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 19, Because... That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So the phrase, that which is known, it means both knowable and known. In other words, it could be rendered, that which is knowable about God. So because that which is knowable about God is evident within them. The Greek verb means clearly recognizable. So look at the original language he used, and he used a verb that meant literally clearly recognizable. We can recognize, people recognize that there's God, but there's a suppressing of the truth, holding down of the truth. God is knowable by man because of the demonstration of his power and creation. And we'll, go, we'll say this over and over again today. When you look around in nature, you look at the sky, you look at all that's going on, how in the world can anybody, well, I didn't, I suppressed the truth too. Um, I went to you know, nativity scenes and saw the manger and I thought that was a joke and I suppressed all that stuff. I suppressed things that I, because I was always fascinated by nature because that which is known about God is evident within them. Here's that Greek word. Here's the word evident. The Greek word means made visible as an external manifestation to the senses. So God's made him known to our, all the six senses that we have. The Greek word stresses what is visible to sight. It's conspicuous. Listen, listen to this description. It's conspicuous, apparent, manifest, obvious, visible, evident, plain, clear, easily seen, open to sight. So God's saying this has been made easily seen by people, clearly recognizable that there is a creator God. That's why he's going to say in a minute here, they have no excuse. How can God send people to hell who've never heard the gospel? He's going to make a way, but there needs, there's going to be an initial, oh my goodness, there's a creator. No one is going to be unjustly judged. Everyone knows that there is God. If you don't believe me, then you don't believe what this says. Because that's all I'm doing is giving you this. So it's evident within them. So within them means literally in them, in their heart, their mind, and their conscience. God sovereignly plants evidence of his existence in the very nature of man by reason and moral law. For the most part, people know, that's, I shouldn't have done that. That's not right. 
You know, they're, 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 they're speaking to the moral law that's been built inside of us. Um, it's, and here's a great thing. This, this uh, within them is independent of exposure to special revelation of scriptures. In other words, special revelation is the word of God. General revelation is nature. So they're seeing God just in general revelation without even having to go to the word. But obviously the word then stresses it even more. No person, therefore, can plead ignorance of God because entirely apart from Scripture, God has always revealed himself and continues to reveal himself to man. Psalms 19, verses 1 and 2 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Psalms 19 verses 1 and 2. Go through the book of Psalms and look at the psalmist and the things they wrote about creation. Conscience. Is, our, our conscience, it's not a perfect moral guide, but it, it does testify to the reality of a moral standard. I mean, even when I wasn't saved, I knew there's things I, I, knew there's things I, I shouldn't do. didn't mean I didn't do them, but I knew they were wrong. There's a moral... There's a moral standard in there that God built into us to which we are personally accountable because it stabs us when we violate it. Even the unbeliever. So this in turn is testimony for the existence of a moral creator in whose image we have been made. So it says, for God made it evident to them. So verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Again, the interesting thing about the original languages, the world, when the, wor- the word that Paul used for, the wor- for world in the Greek is, was a specific word. Greeks believed that there was chaos um, in the universe. They, obviously, this leads to that whole concept of evolution. Um, or, don't offend anybody, or the Big Bang Theory. Um, the word he uses here for world is the word cosmos. And this, this is great because it describes, literally, the Greek word describes an orderly arrangement. And here refers to the order of the universe. So now he's even saying to people who know that original Greek language, it wasn't in chaos, it was all in order. So for since the creation of the orderly world, so the world is put in order, his visible attributes have been clearly seen. The word invisible obviously means is that which cannot be seen with physical eyes. Um, his visible attributes are, that those are one of the things that he lists have been clearly seen. What are, his attri- what are some in- invisible attributes of God? Just in Romans alone, power, divinity, righteousness, wisdom and knowledge, omniscience, impartiality, mercy, love, immutability, which means he doesn't change sovereignty, etc. Charles Hodge wrote that God has never left himself without a witness. His existence and perfections have ever been so manifested that his rational creatures are bound to acknowledge and worship him as the true and only God. So when you hear somebody mocking God, when you hear somebody openly mocking God, they're standing in a not good place. Um, people just openly using, you know, the name of, uh, I even knew that when I cussed, 
when I used the G word, I knew when I said it, I don't know if I should be saying that, but you just push it down and go on as you go on. All creation is an outstretched finger pointing to God. Everything we see around us is pointing to a creator. So it says also his eternal power has also been clearly seen. Eternal in this context speaks of God's power, which has no beginning and no end. It's like God himself. His divine nature has been clearly seen. And if there's one place his divine nature has been clearly seen, it's been seen in Christ, who is the revealed God in, that was on earth, his divine majesty. So having been clearly seen, Paul connects the observing of the mighty and beautiful things of nature with the consciousness of a personal God. The idea is to acquire definite information, have been clearly seen, acquiring definite information. The present tense indicates that they are continually on display. Look at the sky at night when you can see the stars. The stars you see are just some of the stars that you see. Our universe is so expanse. And so the upshot is that no one has an excuse to say, I see no evidence for a creator for God. Again, we don't say this in judgment. We say it in compassion to know there's people. We were there and there's others who are suppressing and holding down the truth. It takes a deliberate act of one's will to observe the design we see in creation and not acknowledge a designer. Conscience and creation is enough evidence to condemn every man. Adrian Rogers said he tells of a man who owns a trucking company in the South where part of the hiring process is a lie detector test on which one of the questions is, do you believe in God? True story. They have observed that even avowed atheists who answer this question, no, are shown to be liars by the lie detector. So within every person, there is a knowledge that there is a creator God. We choose to suppress it. So as men continually hold down the truth, he renders himself without a defense for his action. God holds all men responsible for their refusal to acknowledge what he has shown them of himself in his creation. God is a just God. No one will be judged unjustly. And I actually kind of highlighted this, marked this down as a fact, that even those, and I, I'm going to read this, even those who have never had an opportunity to hear the gospel have received a clear witness about the existence and character of God and yet they have suppressed it. If a person will respond to the revelation he has, even if it is the only revelation of God in nature, which is natural revelation, God will provide some means for that person to hear the gospel. Example, Cornelius. Some people might read this. He was a Gentile centurion in the Roman army. It says that he was a devout man, one who feared God, but he wasn't saved. But there was a, conscience, a consciousness of the fact that there was God, and a God to be feared. So he was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, and, gave, and he even gave, he gave many alms to Jewish people, and he prayed to God continually, but only when God sent Peter to explain him the gospel, then him and his whole household got saved. God's going to make sure that no one's going to go to judgment without having known there was God and without having heard about Christ. He's a just God. So lastly, in verse 21, 
It says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So the word knew, gnosko in the Greek, means to know by personal experience. So even though they knew God, look at the word used, by personal experience. And in this context refers to a personal knowledge of the existence of God and of his attributes just mentioned. I don't know how a doctor, to be very honest with you, how a doctor or a scientist who works in a lab on DNA, I don't know how they could not believe in a creator God. How can you see the human functioning of the human body? The way the eye, look up the eye. Look how the eye sees things upside down and does its thing and pushes it back out. Now you see it. and It's, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. How could they not believe there's a creator God? Because they suppress the truth. How could you study DNA and not believe that there's something that made this happen, a creator God, because you suppress the truth? Even though they knew God, it says they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They didn't and don't give him glory. They didn't and don't place him in a position of power and great honor that he rightly deserves. The verb honor is in the aorist tense and says it's in the active voice. It indicates that mankind made a deliberate choice. Not, and the Greek word for not indicates absolute negation. Not to honor or thank him. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. It means to become futile in your thinking. Your thinking now becomes about things that are worthless. It becomes destitute of real wisdom. Paul's point is that their ideas and conceptions of God had no intrinsic value corresponding with the truth. The term speculation embraces all man's godless reasonings. So they became futile in all their godless reasonings. One so-called atheist said, I know there are a lot of problems with evolution, but God is not a factor that I consider, and without that, this is the next best thing I can come up with. And it says, and their foolish heart was darkened. Greek word means to literally become dark or to be unable to, be unable to give light. A lack of religious and moral perception inwardly darkened in respect to their understanding. It's sad, right? We were all there one time. Hopefully nobody in here is still there, that you're all truly saved. Amen? The fact is, once a man rejects the truth of God in Christ, he will fall for anything foolish and trust far more ridiculous systems than the truth about God that he has rejected. And because they reject and because they suppress Verse 24 says, therefore, so because they suppress the truth, because they hold the truth down, it says, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies. Isn't that interesting? To dishonor their bodies <coughs> among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Suppressing the truth, darkened hearts, God gave them up to all these vile 
passions. People don't want to read that, but it's true. And there's a due penalty for this. So in closing, let me read this to you. The average human heart, which is probably, I guess they say it's about as big as your fist. The average human heart pumps over 1,000 gallons a day. Over 55 <coughs> million gallons in a lifetime. Your heart pumps, that little thing that just going in here, is pumping a thousand gallons a day. This is enough to fill 13 super tankers. It never sleeps and beats 2.5 million times in a typical lifetime. And it does it without, you don't have to wake up in the morning and go, okay, start, start in the day. Or you, you know, do something to it to calm it down at night. It just constantly beats. You constantly breathe. The lungs contain 1,000 miles of capillaries. This stuff, I love this stuff. The process of exchanging oxygen for carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide, which is what we do, as we're breathing in and breathing out, that exchange is so complicated that Dr. John Medina, genetic engineer, University of Washington, said, it is more difficult to exchange O2 for CO2 than for a man shot out of a cannon to carve the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pin as he passes by. <laughs> Happens all day long. DNA. This is mind-blowing. DNA contains about 2,000 genes per, per chromosome. 1.8 meters of DNA are folded into each cell nucleus. <coughs> a nucleus is 6 microns long. That's like putting 30 miles of fishing line into a cherry pit. 30 miles of fishing line from here to where? Wadding it all up, but they don't even wad it up. It's not even wadded up and stuffed in there. And it, it isn't simply stuffed in, it's folded in. And get this, if folded one way, the cell becomes a skin cell. If folded another way, it's a liver cell, and so forth. So it's even folded in particular ways. To write out the information in one cell would take 300 volumes each volume 500 pages thick, the human body contains enough DNA that if it were stretched out, it would circle the sun 260 times. You tell me there is no God. You tell me that that evolved. And if evolution is true, then why are we decaying? Second law of thermodynamics, things will decay. We're decaying. Again, I said it last week. Just look in the mirror. You know, you know we, we decay. We go down. We're not continually evolving. How can you not believe in a creator God? That's why it's sad. That's why we have to be active about what we're doing for the kingdom. Somebody say amen. amen. The body uses energy efficiently. If an adult rides a bike for one hour at 10 miles per hour, it uses the amount of energy contained in three ounces of a carbohydrate. 
if a car with if if a car were this efficient with gasoline, it would get 900 miles to the gallon. So it, it comes back to the thing of the the word of God is is making clear to us that everybody's going to have a chance. And think about this: for some of you that have parents that are 70 and 80 years old, 90 years old, who are still not saved. That's 80 to 90 years of suppressing the truth, of holding down the truth, of all the things that all of them have seen. Serve an amazing God. Somebody say amen to that. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us at Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We pray this sermon blessed you, encouraged you, inspired you, and challenged you in your walk with Christ. Thank you for being with us and come back and visit us anytime. God bless you.